millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, uh, welcome to episode four of Joe Black Meets. Um, I am going to attempt to make this intro short because this is a long episode. It is a jumbo episode because as Camille explained to me, she is Irish. She is from Cork and she loves a chat. Uh, and I am I'm so, so happy uh, to have spoken to Camille for this. Um, we'd met very briefly before. Uh, very casually, never really interacted. Um, but I am such a fan of this uh, artist and this woman. I've got a cat. That's. Do you want to hear the pairing? Go on. Oh no, he's just that was him rubbing himself uh, across the microphone. I thought we'd get a lovely pair. Uh, <laughs> I am such a fan of this woman. Um, please, if you are not familiar, search for Camillo Sullivan on YouTube and, and, and Spotify, her album, uh, Changeling. She is phenomenal um, and, and, and very, very inspiring. Uh, and I was so pleased to be able to have this chat. So yes, enjoy this jumbo episode of Camillo Sullivan uh, weaving some wonderful tales. Um, at the time of the release, Camillo Sullivan will have just started her show Dreaming at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So if you are there, please go see it. And if you would like something to do later in the year, of course, this podcast at the time of recording has no advertisements on it. So, uh, you know, I don't make any money. This is all for the love of it. So if you want to support me somehow, buy a T-shirt, uh, some merch or come see me on tour later in the year in October and November with my shlo- uh, my, shlo- my show Club Cataclysm uh, touring the UK and Ireland. Right. My intro is too long for the length of this episode, but make yourself a nice cup of tea, sit back, and listen to the lovely tones of the glorious Camillo Sullivan. Hello, Camillo Sullivan. Hello, darling Joe. How are you? I'm all right. We are, for obviously people can't see us, we are in a 
vintage cinema bus uh, on a roundabout at Brighton Fringe. It is May. This is probably coming out in the summer. So May is long gone. You are now at Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. Um, It is amazing in this little cinema room. I wish we could (laughs) live here forever. We should move the shows here. There's not as many seats. No, it's... There's like eight... Yeah, about 16. It's absolutely good. gorgeous. I was looking at it from the outside, and now I'm like, I want one of these. The outside doesn't do it justice. No, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't, but it's it's definitely, you know, I've never seen anything like it. What is it, 16? It looks like little um, 1930s little seats, and you're looking amazing too, so I'm oh, delighted to be here. You're looking amazing. You've well, got a lovely embroidered bomber jacket <laughs> on, a red dress, the shoes are gone. <laughs> uh, right, so... Yes. Uh, for those for those of you who may not know uh, your work, how yep. would you describe yourself? What do you do? Um, I suppose I sing. I sing other people's songs. I try and interpret them instead of make them like a tribute. And I, um, I suppose all these years happening coming from Ireland, where it's all about the singer songwriters, I was kind of embarrassed for not writing songs but I'm I'm kind of a performer and and what I do in my shows is when I first started was taking the likes of kind of Jacques Brel and Kurt Vile and those kind of stories and it allowed you to become a different character in every song and then later it was my mum who said but look at your record collection what you really love is like Nick Cave and the Beatles and David Bowie and you've always been singing Moon Age Daydream and aren't they the same kind of songs and I was like oh yeah they are so that brought me into the world of Bob Dylan and Radiohead and Leonard Cohen so it's an, I suppose in a way, I've been, I know this is, I'm from Cork, a village in Ireland, so excuse me if I go off on a tangent and talk too much. Tangents are very welcome. Ta- okay, cool, that's good, because you'll get a few of them. But basically, um, I think I like becoming something else, and maybe that's the thing of having a certain social anxiety in my own life as a person and a shyness which allows you to become anything and multiply it by 100%. What it does to you though in the end uh, it brings people on a kind of a an unusual journey because they think you're just a singer first and um, and then you can bring them into kind of little different vignettes and become allows you as a woman to be vulnerable and angry and funny and so change yourself very quickly. And I only have to deal with that after stage. I'm highly embarrassed about <laughs> everything I did. And people going, your dancing was great. And you're like, what dancing? <laughs> so, I dance. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like the show we're doing at the moment isn't that. That's uh, The one is kind of it's a bit more basic, just about singing songs you love. But that's the long answer to kind of um, what I do, you know. <laughs> See, I was, I was, so I was ready for you to just say singer. And then I was going to go, hold up. <laughs> You are not. Oh, sugar. And I was going to come in. No, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said it. I thought you were just going to sort of go, oh, a singer. I was like, no, you are not. You are a conduit for storytelling. You are a sorceress. Um, I was going to go Aww. off on what you did it for me. And so, so beautifully. Um, that brought to mind many things there. But yeah. what I, one thing that really struck me was... Uh, you said that you, be- you become these characters yeah. and sort of bigger. And then the list of names that you picked yeah maybe with the exception to David Bowie who's yeah. very 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 yeah. showy yeah yeah uh, all of the ones you mentioned are actually quite um, reserved or like normal yeah people that are, are brought to life 
by their music. Like Tom, Tom York yeah. is not uh, a particularly showy person, no. I don't think. Yeah. But the, the music is so theatrical and so big. Radiohead, for those of you unfamiliar with yeah. Tom York. Um, <laughs> Nick Cave, again, uh, very, very tall, yeah. uh, shadowy figure, yeah. but is a, a perfectly normal man. Yeah. Uh, but then on stage is this, this almost priest-like figure. Yes, and, and Tom yeah. Waits has more of a, like a mythos yeah. uh, uh, surrounding ha- it. He'd have more of the the kind of carny... I, I suppose he's amazing. He's like the left-hand side of life or and uh, he... for the hobos or for the down-and-outs and, outs and uh, I, I think all of them have something where they can write the most beautiful love songs or lullabies ever but they also can do the kind of darker um, melancholic kind of um, the wheels are coming off, which is maybe suitable for how I feel about my own life. Uh, <laughs> and I may be resisted for a long time because I think when I first started, it was all about being enigmatic on stage and hiding, probably speaking in between, because I found that the most terrifying thing to do is reveal yourself. And as my friend said later, a very good friend said, you're quite eccentric. I said, why did you share the madness you have? I said, OK. And now that's why, like last night, I'm there going, um, talking nonstop. Um, but I suppose there's, there's a thing in those artists, um, as a, being a you know, woman or whatever, you bring that side out of a song. But there's, a, as you said, there's a character in, to inhabit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think I love all of them as performers too. I like each person, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, for all different reasons, like the genuineness and authenticity of like Leonard Cohen. And I remember Fergal and I, Fergal who plays, he's kind of my long-term collaborator my suffering collaborator <laughs> um but uh he's uh, you know we went to see cohen and we were both kind of in tears just at the beauty of him in the simplicity of his singing so you you kind of zone in on different people and i suppose the thing is even if you are being really dramatic um for me it's always about something that moves me in a song to laugh or cry and so i want to kind of own that song and i want to get some truth out of it and as the years have gone by kind of the worse my relationships have been the better a singer became because then you totally you know immerse yourself in that song to kind of like sometimes work through your own life on stage some of the songs are about totally connecting with the audience and some of the sadder songs which I probably if I had a chance I'd do all the sad songs but then people would be on the floor crying <laughs> all the time so that's why you do in these shoes and give them some joy but it's it's kind of sometimes uh, you're thinking about things about your own life. So what's nice is sometimes when people say, oh, did you write it? Or, And you go, oh, God, no. So that's it's not what you're intending to do. But I think for me, because I don't have the thing of writing mine, I have to own it very much in a different way. And I suppose also as the years go by, if the song doesn't mean anything to you anymore, you just have to throw it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because some songs own you. And then I'll say to the band, do I sound like a wedding singer? Or do I sound, you know, because when I first started, I had to make a bit of money doing the wedding songs, the grannies like flying into the drum kits and all the rest <laughs> and getting the uncles up to sing. Um, but it, so you, songs find you and um, and then you spend your time in a show going, well, I want to reveal this or I I want to show that side and I want to change it really quickly to take people out of that world. And the only thing that frustrates me 
I realised, you know, many times I've gone, oh, I wish I was just a singer on a chair singing a song, but oh, Jesus, I've chosen like the Mercy Seat or a Staggerly or God is in the, like God is in the House as an opener is a beautiful song, but it's a tough one because you can see people in the front row going, Mavis, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and you go, unfortunately, Mavis, there's something in me that makes me have to start shows in this kind of way of, prov- I suppose like theatre, when you provoke people mm. and, the, and, and try and make them uh, think or question things, which is kind of coming from that old, German Cabri way of like you know uh, well it's not easy listening is it it's, it's not like, and my sister does say Camille you could have made you know you could have done that <laughs> greatest it's a Doris Day and stuff and I was going why didn't I think of that well, but and, and, and the other thing sorry I meant to say was what it reminds me of is probably like you know when some people go well why would you do that you go well why does some an actor an actress take Lady Macbeth and why is there hundreds who try and make to um, you know take a monologue or do something and try and make it their own Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I see those uh, when I hear some of those songs I kind of hear the lyric and the story first before I even know what the musical Mm -hmm. and so then I'm wandering around kind of saying it to myself and um, and some songs like what's funny is like I might have heard them 20 years ago and it isn't until now that I'm getting my head around maybe how some come very Mm -hmm. quickly and other ones like Ship Song is a song a lot of people love now and I think it took us two years because I just didn't know how to break the spell of Nick Cave's interpretation. <laughs> you know, it was his one I liked the most and um, I switched playing with a guy I work with to Kian and the typical way we break his songs down is sometimes just to do chords and make it quite hymnal and then you sing Speak It and then you find a way or you slow it. So, um, all right, so you're sort of like taking them all apart because mm. I don't, you know, I, I think... When I when I learn stuff, I'll just go, okay. Well, I'll give it a go on the piano and yeah. see how it feels. I that I like this process of taking it into like the smallest pieces and then because yeah. you were you trained as an architect, yeah. Uh, and I had um, I watched an interview with you where you said that you approach songs like an architect yeah. and you build uh, build build the song in that way. Yeah, it's like I suppose when you're an architect, you're thinking of. <clears throat> Uh, what's the emo- like to me? I suppose being Irish and half French, there's a lot of emotion in me as a person. I react, and you know, not that I spend my days crying, but you know, I <laughs> I do like to think that when you go into a place, um, or when you you know, what does that make you feel? Uh, do you feel protected? Do you feel happy? Do you feel uh, wondrous? You know, it's a bit like playing the Spiegel tent or seeing a beautiful. You know, we talked about the Union Chapel, like. Some places you're swimming in the building because it's so incredible as a singer just to even look at it. Mm-hmm. And, and when you go and see a, a gig there. So I suppose as an architect, it was always about like, so you leave that space and then what does the next one do? And what does, uh, is that like a vast uh, experience or does that connect you to flowers or, you know, is it, so it's different things that you try and create like um, the senses um, and not saying that, <clears throat> I suppose with singing, it's it's that journey of like, um, I don't think you need to have a story to, you know, get you from A to B in a gig. I think you can just change very slightly to become a different person in a song. Some songs I always find with ballads, I don't like moving an inch. I actually find that ir- irritates me a little because I want to just live and like really say those words because they're so important and then other songs I like to just abandon myself over like and so most of the time falling over the monitor like some of my best gigs are when the people have said they've heard the audience go 
like this and I'm like lying on the ground going what's going on and they say and she kept on singing and I'm going (laughs) you know so I you know all those things that used to really embarrass me as a singer like you know uh, people seeing you know like the worst sides of you are you falling over actually realised those were the bits that made the audience come to you because they realised not infallible possibly Mm -hmm. as crazy as I am also on the way out and (laughs) having a laugh at herself so things that you know I mean I uh, sorry, I kind of left where we were talking from, but I, I think the thing of like uh, when I uh, probably because you know years ago I'd learned piano, but I can't play it like you. I can only do it like basically, so I don't have an instrument to help me sit down. So all I have is me thinking of what that song is. So uh, sometimes you, you, it was a bit like Revelator, which is on the Changing album. I used to be in Edinburgh getting ready at the bottom of the. Um, hill had to climb up to the mound it was a half an hour journey and I'd listened to Gillian Welch's uh, like I'm kind of OCD I like to do the same thing and put the eye makeup on the left eye first and then you know I don't know at the moment I'm kind of like everything has been abandoned in that regard but I used to listen to Revelator until it happens the moment I gotta sing it I just have to and then you put the tape away and then you start singing it to yourself and then you ring Fergal and you go let's try it like this and then you work with great musicians who can like he and I even though you know it's a long friendship we kill each other we do you know have a kind of way of being able to converse which came across a little when we did the Shakespeare thing we didn't really know we could do stuff like orchestrate things together but then we realised all the years of taking songs apart and putting the back that we had this thing going and you know like most of the time I think oh Jesus have I don't know what I'm doing or I think it (laughs) I knew early on having nerves and stuff was a frustrating thing, but also knew it would be a good thing because it meant you never felt you landed or you're like mm-hmm. secure. So it means you're eternally searching. And, you know, it's, um, I suppose it's a child's curiosity you want to bring um, on stage. And uh, that's what I have to remind myself sometimes when I'm looking at stuff again, you know. Um, and I, even during COVID, I found out, like, I thought, Jesus, take me two years to find five songs. It's not like, you know, have I, <laughs> come on, Nick Cave, get some more out there for me, you know. But it, it's not easy finding them. It's like I always think I'm fishing for gold or yeah, salmon, I, you know. I mean, with, with COVID, I guess, that you, you were at home, so you could just sit there and listen to me, mm. but it's not the same thing. No. You, you, you occasionally want that. I mean, I find I'll have, you know, Spotify on or something. Yeah. Uh, not sponsored by Spotify. <laughs> um, any other streaming platforms are available. Um, I'll, I'll have a streaming platform on. <laughs> and uh, I'll be listening to one particular thing yeah. and then it, it throws up the, the random ones. Yeah. And I'll be listening to something and sometimes I will yeah. just stop. Yeah. And go, oh, oh, what's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it was related to... Yeah, to, to I should or, do that more often because sometimes it's on, like... Might say my daughter is eight and she listens things, or Aiden, my partner, he might something, and then I go, "What is that?" And it is exciting. Like I'm there with my bloom and Shazam in restaurants, trying to climb. <laughs> like they're like, "What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Climbing up to the?" It's very or like you know, a closed door, and they're like, "Please come down." <laughs> and you're like, "I've got to hear what that song is." And it is like, um, you know. I don't know when the COVID thing happened. It was like a natural. Like I was pretty wrecked from touring, and so was the band. And it was a weird thing. I don't know if you felt that as a performer. Like usually the moment you're always like, Jesus, I have to take the next gigs. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. And the f- 
absolutely empathy and feeling for anybody that was going through a terrible time but as a performer it was a relief because you went nobody else is gigging mm -hmm. I'm not gigging nobody's doing it not even the cat is singing it's fine I'm here you know and so it was a it was a weird thing because you've always been on high alert to kind of like make sure mm -hmm. you're six months ahead you've got a yep. gig coming and then nothing and then the months that passed and then how hard it was in going well not how hard but God what is it I do what you know I've forgotten what that is and I always knew falling off the horse would be hard I always mm -hmm. knew I always thought to myself I've kept going because if I stopped I'm scared I won't go back on mm -hmm. and when we did the two years and then you did also I was kind of very pleasantly surprised when there was you know uh, what was it celebrities and everything it, the whole thing kind of died and, uh, away like you know that it was that wasn't important and NHS workers were and the postman was important and the girl working in Tesco and I was going you know this is real stuff and um, then suddenly you must be really looking forward to going back and performing you're like I don't think so. And the cat's looking and you go, you better leave this house soon. You know, so it was a kind of, I'm still in that mid uh, no man's land of, I'm so happy to see people. And, you know, when you see people who've come to your gigs before, but there's a big kind of, I loved being at home cleaning my mm -hmm. kitchen for a very long time. <laughs> I think secretly a lot of performers really enjoyed it because I think a lot, a lot of people went, I wish I could have some time off, mm. but then you would never take it off because, yeah. again, you, you, yeah. you're keeping on the horse, keeping on the horse. Yeah. And then it happened and you went, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, did, did you find that you discovered more things creatively or did you kind of walk like step back from it for the time uh, I mean you've I got a you've got a kid so I guess it, yeah it, the well priorities yeah are very and she's different. very yeah absolutely and she's theatrical in her own right though she <laughs> is similar to me in the sense she doesn't like singing in front of people she knows or parties or she likes singing around me but if it was in school it, and it, it's a similar thing I don't like doing it like I would be terrified of like family occasions or I, I, I you know what I mean anymore. like so I was like people go you know when COVID was I, I kind of I I think in our our wonderful mad life is quite you know I started not knowing what was my real life and my you know my stage life because my stage life was becoming more my real life as I was touring and so to just kind of find me again and try sewing or making the banana bread or whatever it was and um, buying a tent for the back garden to create a little <laughs> festival for Lila with festoon lights and trying to make it a magical place at home like there was one room we just have like a disco ball on and I mean that turned out actually I, I, there was loads of times I was asked by people to um, sing kind of like uh, those zoom things now I did a few charities because I thought this is the time like which I was doing over the years anyway but I was like, oh, God, do I want to be sitting at a table? And, you know, and, you know, also, you're not, you know, I was I delighted myself in not wearing makeup. I was like, this is such freedom. And being in the same dressing gown, which now I brought on the stage and uh, which I love the the reaction of take that disastrous thing off. <laughs> Leave it on. It's like my dressing gown. I love it. And I um, I uh, I liked that. And then was, I thought, oh, no, I won't do the, I suppose the creative thing that happened is I learned how to edit film and because Fergal and I had to, were at a distance of like he was like four and a half hours drive away from me when we had to record a kind of Van Morrison song for his everybody was doing it for his birthday and it we nearly killed each other because it took about two weeks even to just work <laughs> out the chords because we weren't with each other but this 
thing I did for Court Midsummer was kind of losing yourself in lockdown and I said look I'd love to do it but I'd love to do it like a day in the life and maybe it was kind of inspired a little by Tom Waits um, kind of big time vid- video which is very hard to find online but I've it's been, him I've in been, the I've been it's, trying to it's so find good if it. I think I can find out I'll send it to you because he's like in his bathtub with like the, the umbrella on it's on fire like you're going yep that's all the things I love <laughs> and so the the idea was waking up in the morning and singing the songs and so some was uh, you know waking up in your bed and then going down uh, putting your curlers on and singing sad waters in a little laundry room and then cleaning uh, hoovering your kitchen and getting on the table and doing in the shoes sitting out in the car ending up in the disc room upstairs Aidan and I had argued at the last moment to do ship songs so there I was annoying the neighbours next door holding the <laughs> phone to myself and then ending with my big um, light up cape um, going out into the garden singing lullaby in the tent with the festoon lights on and then later uh, so that was that and I was uh, and I had great fun I was doing those kind of like slow animation movies of like I love Dorothy Wizard of Oz kind of um, like the shoes and the little figurines so I had them on the table with flour and then I hoovered that up and they were moving around <laughs> the table and so I enjoy I thought if I'm going to do anything but the only weird thing is when it went out I had an absolute bad reaction I felt really vulnerable I because usually is it because you had done something just because you for fun that you want to yeah I did do. but I'm I also realized that I <laughs> I've been you know somebody liking me to a reluctant perform and I think I'm I think I'm I love singing and I love performing but I struggle a little with the aftermath of the reaction not necessarily in gigs but when I'm finished and I think it's a, an, a slight I don't know if it's an Irishness in me to have that embarrassment I know plenty of people at home who don't give a damn and they're like I am amazing and Jesus wasn't that great in that song and I'm like oh my god where's the exit and I'm not <laughs> sure I sang that right so that's just my that's yeah. my default so when the video went out it went out to people and I went but I don't know and I know people were saying stuff and I went turn that thing off I don't want to read what anybody's saying so but then I realised later it was just because I'd been hiding for a while and and I really enjoyed watching other people I got great joy Mm. out of watching other performers and I felt really I suppose what I usually feel you're kind of alone on your journey and it was just lovely on Facebook and thing and willing other people to go how are you and what have you have you been working or you know not necessarily even talking to them just seeing their little things go out mm-hmm. and and I suppose that was inspiring too like seeing um, your one Laura Marling had done a beautiful gig in Union Chapel and then there was another fellow uh, James, oh, I'm terrible with the names. I got fog brain, but he did an amazing one in the Globe, and I mean those were the filmed things. But just anybody who was, you know, trying to reach out, um, and and then there was fun things like that. Mad, like uh, th- these are the things that kept me going. Was the um, I mean I bought really stupid things like uh, like rabbit heads and like stuff <laughs> that I could dress up, but like never to be seen. No, but they might turn up <laughs> on the gig now. But the one I loved was the Zoom of your man over America who was in a court case. There's four people in the picture and the judge and he's a cat and uh, he doesn't know how to turn <laughs> off his daughter's left this thing on. So it's got a cat head and he says, I, I, I am not a cat. Um, <laughs> and, oh, you know, and they were like, yes, we could see. And that kept me going for months. And then I went online looking for the most closest thing of a cat head, which I did make Fergal wear when we went to New York and he played the piano now he's refusing blankly at the moment, but I'm going to get Does it back. Does it have on. eye holes? 
It has eye holes. Oh, well, well it's, got, it's got the nose as what you can see through. Like but a it's, mesh. It's so brilliant. And I've actually skied in the thing. I have gone up <laughs> ski. I have filmed myself like at coffee places. I, any chance I can get, <laughs> I, I want to be pictured in that thing. So I'm not sure what that's about. But that's been my aftermath. You were inspired by the court. Yeah. Catman. Well, since when you went on that dressing thing with me choosing, because you dress so amazingly, I'm going to try some of those in those like outfits. I did. I did a photo shoot recently, and when the cat head came out, the the photographer you could see him go, "This is not what I expected." <laughs> and it was worse still when I left it in his house, and I had to drive like a few weeks later, 50 miles to get the cat head <laughs> on the motorway. Sorry, I've, I've left my cat head. At your, um, something. What you were saying about sort of being a reluctant performer. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier about how you would always do. Sad ones if you could. There yeah. was something you said, so I came to see the show yeah. last night, and there was yeah. something you said, uh, it was either the second or third song, Yeah. and you said, I'd like to, I'm going to do some Leonard Cohen now to settle myself yeah. in, or calm myself. Now, yeah. I would always do sad songs if I yeah. could. So yeah. my thing, if I'm feeling unsettled, yeah. I'm going to do the most uh, obnoxiously silly, crowd pleasy thing. Yeah. What I loved for you there was that you were like, I need to calm myself down yeah. and do something uncomfortable with. Yeah. Then you did Famous Blue Raincoat. Yeah. Which, in my head, I would have to feel... Because I love it and yeah. I would love to sing it. But yeah. I would need to feel my most confident and that the gig is going so well to go, oh, now I can be vulnerable. Yes. But for you, it was... Yeah. To make you feel better was to do that material. Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, Because I understand the joyful, <laughs> mad stuff to... Um, uh, maybe... It's like, it's a bit like the dressing gown was a bit of a, we call it in Ireland a sucky blanket, which is a comfort blanket, I think, here. And certain songs um, are, and, and it's not a song I really know that well. I've owned, Like yourself, I find it quite daunting because it's so well known. And it's one I just, I always kept away from that and Martha because I was like, too well known. It's, uh, what am I doing going near it? So these two last night were some of my favourites in the show because they were watching you do them, it, it it felt it was it was amazing. Yeah. It, there was they felt entirely right for you. And Martha, I wasn't expecting because yeah. you said you were going to do some Tom Waits, and I was like, oh, all the world. Yeah, is the, do, yeah, exactly. Um, and that probably would have happened if I got the chance because you always want to go back to your babies that you know but, that you can sing. But and for years I kept away. Like I think those songs I might have heard for thirty years, and I'm going like, I love that, but I just don't think I can sing it. And What's it, changed now? Uh, well, I tell. Okay, so this is interesting, right? And so basically. I, first of all, the reason maybe it's it's a calm thing is you f- you sing to yourself, you sing to the audience, but you're singing to yourself, so you're kind of in your own world, in your whatever you feel like in your shower, singing to yourself, and um, I think what happened was we had a bit of over the lockdown. There was a, a very luckily we were getting some kind of weekly help financially from the government, but and there then there had been an offer like for artists to get help for um, making records or, or releasing. And it was a bit of a blow because there was probably thousands of people and we didn't get it. And it was, 
it was kind of painful because it was done in a way like what you know when you're looking for grants usually as an artist you're you're writing like pages and pages and you're spending a month on something mm-hmm. whereas this occasion like I was talking to Fergal who was dealing with the the UK government where it's like you need the money here's the money whereas we had to kind of like reach out and mm-hmm. plead for it so I felt a bit like I felt oh my god it's tough enough there's a bit of rejection there so I thought I'm going to go and record Aidan had said to me I'll give you the bloody money if you need it he said you've been killing yourself trying to chase all these people <laughs> and other people who I really admire didn't get it either who I was more upset about and more shocked about because I watched them over the years big bands at home um, and who have made the industry even ma- more like you've done those stadium tours where you've got merchandise and people at the bar and mm-hmm. you're keeping everything going so I just thought I rang Fergal and I said look I'm losing my mind I'm, I'm uh, I had um, had a few things with my health and I wanted to just take time out and I um, we went to this place which is amazing outside of Dublin which is a farm what's quite funny is you probably hear the dog barking in the background but I said let us I said we never get the chance you and me to record we usually have the band and stuff so let's just take the songs mum and dad loved or my sister loved let's make an album for them let's take my best friends ones let's take the ones I've always loved but I've been too scared to do let's take the ones you like let's do the ones like Eminem and he's looking at me going she's losing it <laughs> and so um, he said we need a plan we need a plan Camille you're mental and then so basically um, we the poor fella I think we did a hundred songs in six days like and then I did one with a guitarist, like with him and a guitarist, and we only got through six songs in like five days. He says, now do you know, Camille, how, you know, he's a modest guy. He doesn't think, he says that he's good at piano. He never thinks that. But I realised, oh my God, I've been putting him through the hoops. <laughs> but what was brilliant too is because he has a shyness, he doesn't like kind of being showy and stuff. And I'd be like, I was like sometimes sitting we'd record and I'd be listening to him going I can't believe I'm capturing Fergal I'm catching some of the most beautiful playing I've ever heard and it was very great for our friendship and very great for us musically because we do um, have almost a married life on the road where we drive each other nuts because we're so close and you know people see us shouting at each other going Jesus they're going to make through it then we're like hey that was great and they're like this is mental and so we what was nice it took away any artifice of you need to prove yourself because the recordings weren't going anywhere they could go somewhere we weren't Mm -hmm. sure but the idea was it was me and Fergal me behind a little baton thing with my 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 sweets and my you know my gummy stuff and him with you know like his hot chocolate or whatever and us and then later in the night a bit of wine and we and and this guy who's amazing Dave was on the who just pressed the button and hearing the dog coming up every now and again and it just felt really kind of like wow we're just going to do as much recording and so the, that's where those songs came from. And what happened was we said to each other, we'll only give each other two takes and no more because what happens is you'll argue about the third take. It's always the first or second one anyway. And if it doesn't work out, it meant you weren't supposed to sing it. And we were taking like even Harry Styles, like Harry Styles, Taylor Swift, you name it. Like, I mean, I mean, the Kanye West stuff, like is still a bit never to be heard. Um, like, but I do want to approach it at some stage. So that Martha turned up on that and Leonard. And then I went home and and what was nice, what we did was we would have rehearsed the key, but we didn't rehearse how I'd sing it. And so we said, we have to just feel it as we go. Mm -hmm. And so then you'd suddenly sing it and you go, oh my God, like that's so, like you understood the song in a way you never, you know yourself when you're trying to work through something, your whole life, like, and you say it about having a child, like that is kind of, oh my God, I'm there in time or all the rest. You don't give your time to be in the moment. So telling each other two songs was being in the moment 
and that was amazing because like we were nailing songs that we can never nail when we rehearse but we had to because time is money mm -hmm. I'm paying them I'm not making any and I've got Fergal down so there's loads of songs there some that may never see the light of day I mean I have this amazing picture of my mum that I've always wanted to use because you know each year you get somebody going your promoter get a new picture Camille and you're like are you kidding me you've been <laughs> holding on to the old propagandist ones for about 15 years to get the audience <laughs> in and so uh, there's that like I have I go all oh, right that well that could be that kind of Dylan one and this one could be the one my mom and dad love the you know was trying to sing it some of their songs so that's the long answer but it was like it was a real big awakening because after like how many years of singing I was like that was a total different way to kind of put you under the thing of we like we'd have to very quickly I, like either stop a song go oh that I think I'm doing it too fast or thing and then into it and then not talk to each other anymore because you can be your worst person uh, myself personally as stopping something um, not kind of uh, realising this this song is going it sounds so stupid it's only a song but it's like um, you can stop going oh the tempo isn't right or the key you know and what you're doing is you're scared because you think you can't sing it properly so that's my you know thing so those songs I suppose they're like uh, you know if you're looking at the great song books of Ella Fitzgerald they're like the great song books for us mm -hmm. those songs you, we know them so well so I kept away from them for so long because of that but you know because the, the way you were recording it, it that almost feels like almost like a pub lock-in yeah is, is, is and there's no pressure because you're like, well, if, if it doesn't work, people don't need to hear yeah, it. Yeah. So I think that that kind of gives it more of a, a rawness and a humanity because you're just go, you're going to do you're not trying to necessarily prove. too hard. You're, yeah. you're just like, I'm going to do this because I love this song. Yeah. And that can and you make don't, the and most yeah. beautiful recording. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't prove like it's a funny one we have, like, as you said with the band before saying I do things more like an architect. I mean. I um I would say sometimes like I've worked with some really incredible brilliant musicians and I feel terrible for what I've done to them because I'm like play it wrong play it like you don't know it play it like you don't <laughs> have a clue what's going on they're like eh, am I good and and sometimes I say play it like you're in your bedroom for the first time you ever played it and you're just working it out and that's kind of where I want to get a song because there is a moment when you play it when you're too um, good at I know the song works or it's I always think that it's good to have a channel of kind of vulnerability whether that's madness or uh, anger or happiness or being sad that you have that channel open um, so mistakes can happen and that's okay like even last like like because poor Charlotte who's brilliant would only practice like for you know those moments she was coming in then I was like oh that's a solo I didn't know was going to happen so all those <laughs> things you know add to it being kind of feeling real and I think you know as you say I think the thing is it I I, th I think what was nice is I've heard recordings we did at the start. Oh, my God. And we're, I'm so formal. And am I singing well? And there's like in these shoes, it's just too neat and tidy. And as time went on, like we try and capture shows, live recordings, because that's where oh, like a lot of people mm -hmm. say. Well, magic happens there. Do you know what I mean? There but. You know. on, the, on the subject of in these shoes, yeah. you were saying too neat and tidy. Again, yeah. I saw an interview where you said that when you did Jules Holland. Yeah. You changed. <laughs> you said you said like we right. We need to change this yeah. for TV. So you, yeah. it, it was it was something to do with the drum. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, the band wanted to kill me. So 
I, I'll do that during, like, you know yourself during a few years, like, say, for example, before I explained the issues, there was, like, songs like Marie in Amsterdam, which are kind of some favourite songs of mine. And um, I found after a while, I just wasn't getting, like, I'd be telling the band to slow down or fast up or, and it was getting my way. And then I thought, I'm really sorry, but, like, they're amazing. It's not their fault that I have these voices in my head. I was, like, saying, I need to clear all the music now so I can sing it. It got to that stage, and now I can't bring that band back in. It's it, you know. I might actually. Marie's compliment is so beautiful. I might go back there. But the thing within these shoes was, it was becoming like when we did weddings. It was becoming too. I couldn't tell the form of it. It was just becoming a bit too normal for my liking. That drives me nuts as a singer because I'm always saying you sound too Dixie, you sound too jazzy. I want you to sound a bit, you know mad or if we're going to do this we've got to own it and and it's probably the love of hearing the likes of Tom Waits world where it is like it's to do things wrong isn't easy you got to do it wrong so it doesn't sound like it's absolutely you know wrong <laughs> and falling like Jesus how did I pay money to see this person but what happened within these shoes I just we worked this amazing guy Aina Hickey who's a lawyer who's one of the best musicians ever um, met now he's really like a Tom Waits figure himself he like makes things out of like an Irish hurley which is like a stick it's like a lacrosse stick and plays with dustbins and sometimes somebody said this on the Royal Festival they said we just saw this guy walk out the back with a ladder closing it opening and closing it going. I said, yeah, that would have been Aina he would have found the ladder and would have played right, it as an it, instrument yeah. and you're not even thinking twice about it and um, so with him um, it was it was the night before. It was the night before Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. And Fergal and Paul Byrne were in my sister's place. And they're like, you are kidding me. You were going to go on live tea tomorrow. And you have decided to use a dustbin instead of drums <laughs> and change the rhythm of the piece and how it opens. And, and I said, yeah. And, we ne- and the thing is, it was brilliant. And we never did it again. We never played it like that again. We never did it like that again. And it's... And we need to record it because it's still my favourite way. But it was just in my mad mind, because I had a kind of a heart attack once I realised we were doing it. I was saying, we have to make it different. We're going on that TV. Now, I remember, um, I remember, <laughs> you might see it in the clip, that he had this thing which had a kind of like... Hello. Oh, yes. Hello? Okay. Slight technical issue there. We are back. Yeah. You were saying so it was the night before Christmas. Night before Christmas. So basically... Um, we'd asked, been asked to do two songs for the Jules Holland and I think looking back on it it was like they kept saying we thought you were so crazy and they were not furious but I think they were like what are you doing to us going on live TV doing it in a way we've never done before maybe part of it was like I thought wow we've been invited on the show I'm such a fan of we've got to make this be really unusual and uh, and more interesting especially because I was such a Kirsten McCall fan I didn't want to come across you know it's okay in gigs to kind of mess around with something but anyway so the dust but what was great was when the dustbin arrived and the technical person went how am I supposed to uh, put the sound to this like you know <laughs> he was probably just thinking why are they bringing a dustbin into the studio and uh, trying to, to mic it and Aina anyway he played that but on uh, well, like 
I, the thing that so my big pride in that moment and I cannot find my shoes that I bought for that it was Brighton actually uh, <laughs> that I bought those shoes um, and I loved them so much and I got knickers to fi- to to match them but to me it was a very kind of like innocent oh my my pants match my you know everybody else going to how sexy I'm going it's really cool isn't it <laughs> so Aidan goes it's a bit full on you know the way you danced and that and I said really and I'm just kind of going for it but I think it was you know for the lads not to feel that they were too um, you know, uh, playing it normally, but I I do think it was a you know yourself. There's a moment in time, and if anybody who does live performance, it's terrifying. Five, four, three, and you're going, oh, you know, how many people are watching? You've got Tom Jones in the corner. You're more terrified about him. Some <laughs> people from the Snow Patrol. You're like, I think I was more terrified of them watching me than I was the, that it was on TV. Was. What was the the moment actually? Because yep. I'm I'm curious whether it's this because I think that's where I first saw you yep. was Jules Holland. Um, it was either that or the Ship Song on yep. YouTube. Uh, one of those two. Yep. Don't remember which way around. Yep. What was that like a big uh, launch moment for you, or had you already had? like a, a big career boost, and then that came from that. Or? I don't know. I would definitely think that year, like. Um, Funnily enough, the YouTube um, clip you're mentioning, which is in my house, was filmed a week before uh, a a slot came free. And I think it was 10 days before Jules Holland. And the day I filmed um, YouTube of Ship Song, I don't know if it was before I filmed it or after we got the call. So it was on that day of that special video to me. And isn't it that you're like, you know. Do you you feel in some way maybe, I mean, uh, maybe I'm, you know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Serendipity. Yeah, or, it's, yeah. it's that, that you opened yourself up to do this thing, that then an opportunity Sometimes sort of found I'd, its Sometimes, I'd like to think that. I'd like to think, I mean, um, the funny thing, and I meant to say something, and I, uh, sorry, uh, what I meant to say about that thing about trying to get musicians to do different things, um, I know this is going back in our conversation probably about eight minutes ago, but when I used to say to Fergal, why can't they do things differently? Why is it me that I can't explain? He said, just because you're a musician doesn't mean you're musical, Camille. And I was like, it's the biggest light bulb moment in years going, so if you play an instrument, that doesn't mean you're musical. He said, yeah, you can play well. That doesn't mean you musically want to be adventurous or try things. So there was that thing. And then the thing about serendipity is, I do, I'd like to think good people, good things happen to good people, um, or people who try... Now, before I had switched my career as an architect, I was too scared to go on stage because I thought, I'm not trained, I'm older. You know, the whole thing, I was like, oh, Jesus. And then I saw people on stage and I went, they're just doing it. I said, it's not just luck. You've got luck, but you've got to do it. So what you're saying is right. I, what That made me realize, because, you know, I think some people think, I used to think people will find you if you're good. But then I realized you actually got to put yourself out there for them to find you so the work has to be done in the sense yes things can happen but you just got to take the risk even if you're terrified so like say for example um you're saying about when was this a big moment there's several times probably of like pinch me moments where i was so delighted one of them would have been playing england for the first time that would have been a massage massive kind of psychological thing for an irish person to have traveled across the water to you know, like England and, um, you know, or Great Britain and America, those two places you think, oh my God, playing there. And so 
Your first place is in a tiny Spiegel tent, you know, at the tiniest one I'd ever played with a little mini gun up a wall in some kind of like, I don't know, it was a, a car factory. And then and then the, the the middle bit was too high. So I looked like Toulouse-Lautrec singing on the other <laughs> side, my Brel songs. And we all slept in the same bed that night. And we were so excited traveling down in our little car to our venue and then playing Brighton and that magical thing of like, having written to the famous Beagle Tent and him then saying, come to Edinburgh, come and perform there and come and do Le Clique, which ended up being like this amazing variety show to be, I was kind of the most normal, as my mother says, you were not the head in the line, Camille. You were the most normal person singing in it while people doing all these amazing acts around you. So that was like a really incredible moment. And I think this, that was 2008 was um, uh, Jules. And I do think between 2008 and kind of 10 was kind of, I see this big moment um, and you never know when these moments are coming because you're in performing you're up and then you're going to be down and then you're going to be up and you're and then I realized that was pretty massive and I knew it at the time I was like I don't know if this will ever happen again and whenever I feel down about stuff I have to remind myself remember you did that so you know I know that's so stupid but performers need to sometimes have little things they remind themselves of um to go that was magical and and yeah and ship song there was a moment in time where I think I was probably finding my feet a little and Morag who worked with me in Edinburgh she was great she was like a Rothweiler she'd be contact people she was in touch with the people from Jules and it was just very lucky that she was the kind of person who everybody got on with and Mark who was running the programme had an interest and then we ended up touring with Jules which was kind of magical I remember being the Royal Albert you know, Hall we had like a 27 minute thing and I was counting the minutes how long we had on and um, like I thought don't fall off the stage and then I was leaving it and somebody said who the hell are you? You never told us your name. I was so excited <laughs> to do the thing. I was like, I'm never going to get across this business because I didn't even know how to sell myself. But that, that, there was a time like where we played like in Edinburgh when you were like selling out like the 900 seaters. Um, and all, like it was also my promoter, um, you know, the, it, well, funnily enough, my promoters have always been comedy promoters. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, well, they know the Fringe Festival. They know the Fringe Festival. And I was very lucky. Like, your man came, like, I loved Ed so much. And he came for years and saying, and I was, I just didn't really understand the whole thing. I thought, I don't, you know, what am I going to? And then people later said, these guys are really incredible. And he was wonderful. Like, we went into tours and it was, I suppose the thing, and, and what was amazing too was that I think a year later, um, then we were doing, like, the run at the Apollo but there was a or the, the roundhouse like things that you always went like you had little things going tick Sydney Opera House the roundhouse the Royal Festival Hall and you do go I cannot believe I suppose where, where me and Fergal came from when we first started gigging is he'd say you choose the place and I'll we'll work at the songs and nothing much has changed from that moment now what has changed is sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down so that's what you just gotta uh, to stay in this business long enough uh, somebody You've said to ride f- those waves yeah, yeah and Phil Coulter who is you know he's big kind of lots of people love him all over the world he is a great kind of like um, uh, person at home in Ireland and Fergal had worked with him he says if you can stay in the business that long you're doing something so mm-hmm. you know sometimes when you're like at home going I have no clue and the cat's going just get out of the house take your CDs <laughs> from under the bed and you know uh, you know it's um, uh, like there's definitely been uh, you know things like you know doing Mrs. Henderson with you know uh, Judy Dench or Will Young 
and um, you, you, you know a, all those things which which and I do always know at the time I always go this will never happen again Camille <laughs> you know and, and like the only thing is I always said I, I try and lose I, I wait for that film but I kept on eating chocolate I was so happy I thought I mustn't be into this business that much <laughs> that I'm not bothered <laughs> trying to slim myself down for this role but it was and he was amazing and he came Stephen Pierce came to see us you know, in shows later and Will was so sweet and he came and even lent us the flat months to stay in. Like, just, you know, um, yeah, unbelievable stuff. Like, you know. Well, you've also done a Meltdown Festival. So it was at Yoko Ono yeah. this year. So did, did does, does, <laughs> the, does the phone go and they're like, hello, this is Yoko Ono? Um, no, well, not with her. It did with Stephen <coughs> Freer. It was like, hello, I, I hear you're quite, you know, dark. Uh, you have a bit of fun in you. And I'm like, who the hell's trying to pretend? <laughs> you know, it's like me always putting on my mother's accent and then people saying to her, Camille, stop it, please. And I should say, it's me, it's me. But um, no, I got the call. Actually, Jane, who we bumped into, Jane Beast, who's an amazing um, lady who used to run the Meltdown. Um, I had just had Lila three weeks before I got the call and I was quite like, oh my God, I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, they said, Yoko Ono would like you to sing in Meltdown. And I think I'd done it once before. Oh no, it was a political evening with Richard Richard Thompson. But, you know, done those evenings where you appeared with people. And I was like, and people were like, you just had a baby. And I went, I can't say no to Yoko Ono, for God's (laughs) sakes. I don't care how I am or what I look like. But it was hilarious. It was a very weird thing when I was pregnant with Lila. We had done two things just after the pregnancy and just, not that I felt infallible, but I'm a nervous wreck before gigs usually. And it was just because I was pregnant, I didn't really care for things because I just thought this is more important. Like, I mean, there was a thing of like doing the Shakespeare thing. It was a bit mad trying to roll around and hide my bump because people were like, oh, she's put a bit of weight on. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to, trying to, I didn't really tell people about it. Not even my street knew. They were like, you've had a baby because I had big capes, you know. <laughs> and then the baby didn't have a name for three months. So they're like, you sure it's your baby? And I was like, it's Did Tiny O'Sullivan. Baby? <laughs> yeah, baby. Well, Jane called it Tiny O'Sullivan, which I loved. But anyway, that was magical. I went over and it was so bonkers because I went up on stage and Earl Slick was there, who's the amazing guitarist who worked with John Lennon and David Bowie. He is extraordinary. And then there was Sean Lennon. And then there was a whole group of other musicians who I knew from previous gigs um, during, who were wonderful. And I had these kind of gold shoes on and the cape and something else and red tights and Sean was like I like I know you're laughing at me now because the state of me but Sean was like I love your style you must be my stylist and I was staring at him going Sean Lennon wants me to be his stylist (laughs) and then Earl Slick said you're the craziest thing we've had on stage today it's fantastic he said we need more madness and I said no worries Earl I can be as crazy as you want so what was brilliant later was um Sean and I, I mean, there was like Boy George and Patty Smith. The embarrassment was that I'd been on the lift, the door was closing, and I saw Patty. Like, Patty is amazing, but she's also got that look like, oh my God, I hope I haven't upset Patty as the doors are closing and I'm trying to get the you're thing open for the. the and I'm so button. sorry, like this. And anyway, later on, myself and, uh, and Sean saying, come and have a whiskey in the cupboard. I'm trying to hide from my mom so she doesn't see. And then. I and say, saying, I'm hiding from Patty Smith. Nobody, yeah, exactly. And then Sean going, my mum loved your singing. And you're just going, this is mental. And it was a pinch me moment because I'm a massive Beatles fan, a massive, you know, Paul McCartney, John Lennon. And 
you know, Yoko was incredible that night. I mean, anybody, like she was on the stage, she owned it. Uh, Susie Sue, you know, Lena Lovage, you know, you're just staring at people who you're in such, and you are kind of going, what the? Like, I, I, Fergal and I are always like, how do these little people, little people from Ireland, you know, not that you think of yourself as leprechauns, but we suddenly, you like, <laughs> doing the RSSC, just like, what the hell's going on? And you, so you have a kind of, uh, you know, I always like Fergal was joking last night. He said, "You'll be like a horse out of the um, what is out of the stalls." And I always feel like that as a performer. Like people say, especially for this Yoko Ono one, like because I was I felt like I was going to be like a rocket that would take off. I'm so nervous sometimes. Like it's been likened. They saw me in a gig like in Kinsale, where it was kind of in a ruined castle, and a guy said, "You were like a mouse just fretting back and forth, and then you came out <laughs> like a big lion." I didn't know who the hell it was, and I said, "Yeah, I have to be a big lion because they're terrifying me, and they were lying too." So it was such a, um, you know an amazing thing and like there's moments like that or like say you end up like I toured you know with the Pogues for their uh, rum and sodomy um, uh, kind of the, the 25 years of that album and um, you're staring from the st- like you're crying backstage I mean I adore Shane he's got a childlike thing to him I don't think a lot of people usually see in his little kind of like <laughs> his laugh and um you see him singing some of the songs you've loved all your life and then you end up singing some of them like well, you, you know Kirsty, like you know yeah. and, and like we got the call like London O2 and I remember at the time Jem Finer who wrote the song with Shane because I never realised um, I think it was Jem who wrote the the jig part and Shane who wrote the slow ballad part and then the producer had to put the two together so I never knew why the magic of that song was both were written from two different two people. people and then joined uh, and for those, those who don't know yeah, sorry, Camille does uh, <laughs> does uh, uh, the sadly no longer with us Kirsty McCall's yeah. part in Fairy Tale of New York with the Pogues. Yeah, and I, to be honest, nobody can ever own it. Like I'm such a fan of her; it is hers, and all you can do is try and sing it well, give it the because it is a thing. You know, some songs you, you just go like I mean, in these shoes is a tribute to her. It it she was around when I started <laughs> singing it, and um, the Fairy Tale you've just got to smile and pay honour and that's what you're doing and uh, and make Shane not uh, like the first time I ever got asked to do that I, I think it was like when I was still just finishing architecture or something and I was eating a mince pie when I got the call and I was like oh my god and then I went oh my god I only know the chorus nobody ever knows the verses <laughs> so, so I'm cycling on a bike and and trying to learn somebody's printed it for me and I'm trying to learn it on the way down and it was the Olympia and then Shane was like, yeah, she's pretty mental. I'll go on tour with her again. And what was funny about the London 02 one was Jem Finest daughter, because he sometimes used to get his lovely, um, Shane used to get his beautiful mother to do it, or Jem used to get his gorgeous daughter. And she said, oh, well, she's pregnant, so we're n- she's not going to do it. And I went, I'm pregnant, but I'm not going to tell them because I want to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you told me about, we were talking about a Vivian Westwood. That was the dress that I got. Like it was a sparkly one. I kind of covered it, but I had to, I must have been about five or six months. Like I thought I must be very careful with this dress and the baby. Um, but Shane was throwing me around and I had like, I had to keep my shoes, pl- I thought, you know, <laughs> planted. But the snow was coming down and... How it, did that feel? it was 
in unbelievable, you know, and I, you know, the band was so kind and their their manager, Mark, is just, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. They really took care of me and um, I think they know you're terrified so they just, you'll get all the smiles. Like, it's anarchy with those guys. You don't yeah. know if they're going to hug you or kill you. And you, you know, yeah. and, but they were kind about that and, um, and then later on, what was wonderful was Victoria, who's married to Shane now, who's a good friend, they had, the, the, which I love these kind of fantasy things. There was the Narnia wardrobe in the London O2. She said, come and look at this and you opened it and it was a bar behind. And ever since then, we're doing our house up and I went, I want Narnia. I bought three white Christmas trees recently an agent says I don't know we need more than that like the notion of our <laughs> tiny like room trying to create a Narnia, oh, Narnia. you know That's he said we could magical. do it well I love those things now he did that himself when he was like he loves doing that stuff I love like we're doing our house up and I mean the joke is there's two bedrooms and three bars like you know we're more interested <laughs> we need a bar downstairs and a bar behind the door and friends are going what about your bedrooms Camille and we need ah, Narnia and we have a swing in the living room but I did say to him we need to move the swing back because you know and had the railings hard because people are drinking he said you always talk about people drinking and maybe falling over the railings or the swing and, and th- then we realised we both talk like because we know all our friends are quite mad but also because you've got three bars in your house well of exactly course, what else are people and I wanted Aidan is a bit of a nerd he likes train sets so I said we could have a tiny train set that just brings a gin and tonic from one room <laughs> to the other and I'm doing a, a um, design but Cobb you know with the joy of it having been an architect you know, Fergal saying, oh, you must be having good fun designing that. It's for Lila's room. I've got like one of, she's got this big wardrobe, but I've got two little doors. One that's for the cat, which looks like a Tom and Jerry <laughs> little door. And then a big one for my daughter. And like friends are going, do you really think? I said, it has to be done. There has to be a Tom and Jerry door in this house. This sounds absolutely, you, you live in Dublin, don't you? Yeah, I'm still in Dublin. So we're doing up a house. I mean, I did get stopped. I did want a, a slide to get us from the ground floor to the basement into one of the bars because I said it would be an easy access if you had me <laughs> tracking you just slide down how do you get back up but for yeah well the, through the steps but Aidan said no but I still I was looking at plastic ones recently <laughs> online or like you know the metal ones you see where they curl and I thought uh-huh. well maybe you know later on you know architects <laughs> it's very helpful for these things it is it? well I'm not of the real world I, I, I realised I don't do reality well I like fantasy far too much and that's probably why I was destined to be a performer but I mean I did work as an architect and I did all the stuff and all the you know but my head was like I've always been a kind of a dreamer for design so it's nice that and I suppose shows do that too like yeah. that you can I say no you know, one can say no to you because you know how to make this all happen as well well I don't know but the only stupid thing because I'm all best friends all my best friends are still the girls from architecture and um, which is nice because you know, uh, I don't kind of probably hang out in the theatre world that much. But what I didn't realise, they said, this is how much it will cost. And I was like, but if I just put on this boiler suit, I can paint it. And, <laughs> and they were like, Camille, it's this per square metre. And like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so that's where it doesn't, that's don't where it's not good. Dream. Yeah. And then going, oh, my God, I'm going like trying to work out how many CDs I've got to sell yeah. for the rest of my life. Well, you know, the CDs flew out last well, night. Well, so we're trying, love. You it's sold different your last now. DVD it's as well. Tri- well, that was it. That's you to got, me. <laughs> but I, I'll give you the other one, which is the... Uh, and I only brought the I only brought the one over, so I thought... And it's got, it's got lovely teeth marks in it from 
from a cat, though, which I quite like. But I've got two cats. So. That would be my sister's cat because, you see, I go and visit. My sister is older. She loves me, but I always try and spend my time because she doesn't like me leaving my stuff there. But I always there's a thing under the stairs I designed. and I, and I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't do this on purpose, but I always try and hide whatever leftover CDs I have going. I did it really well. And she'll find it within an hour, you know, because oh. I said to my dad, don't clean that room. Vicky will find me. She said she told me she found it an hour after you left. So that's probably her <laughs> cat who, who bit into it. Because um, her cat needs to be is quite old and bites things, so she's like on Valium. So I'm like, oh, so she's I take her, yeah, not Valium. You know what I mean, well, ladies I, well, and gentlemen. I think it gives it a lovely touch. Good. Sorry about that. Um, oh my god. No, I think it's good. I looked at it and I was like, yeah, it's good, lovely. As long as it's not Camille's teeth marks. Uh, well, they're very tiny. I don't okay. know. You, you seem to have perfectly normal adult-sized teeth. Uh, what I was going to say is that from you, you were talking about all these opportunities, yeah. uh, opportunities that yeah. came. It seems a lot that people sort of find you and go, I think you would be wonderful for this. Um, one I would like to talk yeah. about is Rain Dogs Revisited. Okay, yeah, Which God, was yeah. the 25th anniversary of Tom Waits' yeah. Rain Dogs. And uh, the lineup is sort of a bit of a, a, bit of a dream one for Unbelievable. me. I, just, you know, yeah. y- yourself, the Tiger Lilies, St. Vincent, and that barely touches the surface. No, unbelievable. I mean, you'd there. be. And that was probably. I mean, I have been such a fan of the Tiger Lilies and I hadn't I had known of St. Vincent because this is before she went stratospheric. So this was just she was doing really well. Um, and uh, oh, my God, uh, Erica Stuckey. And I mean, there was loads of different amazing people on it. And those things are kind of amazing because they're kind of terrifying because you've got to know you've got to uh, do justice to work to the work and also you've got this level of what you're coming up against and there was even Jane Birkin I think on the last part like who was so lovely on the last date we did in Holland or something um yeah I felt really lucky doing those that was that's was um a kind of a beginning that happened in the Barbican that we'd done a Brell evening and with these amazing people um diamanda gallas like we were joking because we couldn't get the hairdryer off her mark <laughs> Alden and myself were dying to get the you know the makeup and hairdryer and like they were women diamanda going come on you've got to sort us mark almond i'm such a fan he like we were both he was like me backstage wandering around and of course goes off and just makes it amazing and so from that gig, sorry, this is my tangential towing, talking, we got another, uh, this amazing guy, um, uh, Mark Cardinal from uh, Rain Dogs Limited, that's what he called the company, put us on in these shows in Lyon, which was in an old amphitheatre outside. And we were doing, first of all, a kind of a Let It Be and the Beatles, then we did Rain Dogs, and then we did um, In Dreams and then something else which I can't remember so we did four kind of shows together where we toured what I didn't know at the end of those shows was if the audience liked you they took their little um, cushions and threw them at you on stage I was like Jesus <laughs> they were coming from every every direction so and it was just at you. it was joyous and there was some kind of like rock stars from France who were doing um, what is it when they crowd they go on the sur- they crowd surf and stuff so that was a magical moment and we did the first rain dog show there and then toured around and brought it to the barbican and um it just was you know like because you're always 
you're trying to do your own shows and so every year Edinburgh is a, kind of allows you to kind of create something new and then you're always you know throwing back in some of the best numbers so to do those things with other people um, just uh, you know it's 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 not saying it's a busman's holiday it's like you know heaven you just can't believe it because you're there beside them watching them on stage and then you might end up singing a song with them mm -hmm. and just have fun kind of meeting other people who like I just remember I don't know if it was um, your man who I love so much Richard Hawley like brushing my hair like to, like I was going this is bonkers stuff and that just happy happy memories like but I remember taking on, yeah. I remember taking a walk with St Vincent and she dresses so beautifully she had this big black kind of hat on with these big black kind of um, glasses and she had flat little kind of shoes and I was just walking beside her just kind of wasn't stalking her I was just looking <laughs> at her just going she looks amazing you know and she was lovely how she talked and, and just finding out these people and then investigating their music um, yeah I've missed doing that because that hasn't the last time probably would have been three or four years ago we, like we ended up doing similar things in Australia for Jeff Buckley's music and um, uh, and what was funny I was doing shows in um, Australia and then In Dreams was over there so they said you want to do Sydney Opera House you want to do Melbourne and you got like an afternoon's rehearsal you're like oh my god um, but people, uh, everywhere you go people seem to just pick you up and, well, no, and well, well I'm not sure about I'm, I, do you know what's funny it happens I, look, I feel very lucky it doesn't happen so much home because I think I tour more abroad but it's always harder they say for wherever you're from mm -hmm. but I think you're kind of an interesting little Irish figure when you're you know and I don't always think it happens like maybe talking to you here you, you, well, you give your best you Hollywood like, face well, like no, your Facebook yeah, you, Hollywood you face sort of like well and then I met this person and then they put me in the Jeff Buckley one and, oh, we, we, yes we also did this one oh I've had loads of listen I've had some terrible mo like I'm sure like I know the night I did it in the Barbican I felt awful because I hadn't done I felt I had messed up my songs and I remember sitting in the in the park for like crying my eyes out for art like but that can happen it probably was induced by loads of drink and feeling <laughs> vulnerable and I was in front of my mum and my sister and they're like that top's a bit short on you and so you go through wonderful moments but you can go through the like you can mm -hmm. do the great gigs but sometimes you know and I know other people on that show felt vulnerable too and there was moments I was holding hands with other people. So even at the best ho moments and of your career where you're asked to do things, they can be brilliant, but they can also be where you find yourself in the middle of some small town going, Jesus, I messed it up. Because as you know, you're only as good as your last gig. Mm -hmm. So there has been such highlights. And I think I have been lucky because I am the worst girl at doing auditions. So I've been very lucky that some people have spotted well, they, what they you do on stage. They you know, seek you out as... Uh, Luckily, because if I would, there's no way I would get any additions I do is they're awful. But I talk to my partner, he's the same. Like he says, he gets up on thing because I get too scared. Like, and then I'm like trying to apologize for it. And that's even worse. It's like digging a hole. <laughs> they're like, all right, Camille, we'll send you. Yeah, you we'll you, be in touch. You, you've mentioned before that's the, the court girl coming out. It is the, the court the girl. You said yeah. this last night as well. Oh, it's so bad. It's, 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 it's a, and I said to Fergal, I said once, I said, it's an age thing. And he went, uh, I'm your age and it's not. I don't do it. And I was going, shit, like, Jesus. So it is a thing. And it, it's so funny because uh, a few girls say it. And we just like, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, but you find with certain people in Ireland when they do that, they just explode after a while. They're like, I'm not fucking sorry. <laughs> after like two years, you know. Uh, two years of apologizing, yeah. it builds up yeah, and up and up. Basically. Um, 
uh, what we're saying about that that in these stories it seems to be that people find you and then put you in these these projects yeah. or producers put on your show and obviously you yeah. create the show and stuff yeah. but so Changeling yeah. you self-produced this didn't that you? that was mental yeah you, you paid for it you, yeah, all, it, all of it that it was too much money and I can't even go there because I think I'd, it was so much money and the reason why it was a disaster is it, I mean the album's yeah. amazing oh that's lovely to hear that's so nice to hear because you know you sit at home looking oh that's a nice cover and the whole thing was very funny because we we um, I hadn't I always thought, oh, I want to really record a good album, but I did it the wrong way. I didn't know how to get a producer, so I, I, I spent money on these sessions, and then I'd spend money on those sessions, and then I'd pe- then I, when we did decide, um, some of the songs, like say "True Love Waits," we when we when there was a lovely guy Brian, who used to be in a band, Bellex One. He just sat down with an auto harp and did it, and we never captured the beauty of that. So that initial recording, which wasn't done to track had to go on the album and I had to sing I think I had to sing over it or some it was something mm. mad that you can never we don't have to track things to it now the the album cover itself was hilarious too Sean and Yvette had this place and then I I just grabbed the, the rabbit that was on stage and the wig because my hair looked like shit and I went and, to, and they were like you really want to do this with the rabbit I said I just really like this rabbit mm. and it was perfect now nobody knows why it's there. It's this lovely red cape, and and I love it. Although I did do a gig in Germany like twelve years later. He says, uh, "You don't really look like. You. I mean, look at the state of you. You don't look like a picture." <laughs> and you're like, "Thank you." That's exactly. Even my promoter used to say, they, "I'm like they're too direct," and I didn't know what to say. But the the songs. What was great was Aina and Fergal kind of took over. The three of us took over producing duties. But we just spent so long using different people. We just did it the wrong way. So, mm. I, I mean, it's not like a tiny house, but you know what I mean? It was expensive. And I didn't really get, like, you know, that's why I haven't done it. I'm trying to do something now. And maybe what a bit of that was the house, because that's why live gigs are great to record. Because mm. the cave one, I was, uh, you know yourself, you're trying, you, you go in, you're going I hope yeah I sometimes like say we've done Wilton's I'll record three nights because you go out of the some you're going mm-hmm. to be able to stitch it together and also sometimes don't tell the band you're doing it because you do tell some because you know they'll play more but mm-hmm. it's really it's one of these ethereal it's one of these moments it's either going to happen or not and we've just been lucky that more so than often like when we did the Brell or the Cave or Live at the Olympia, those nights were great because there's been some along the way and you go, oh, God damn it. Like, you know, I wish that it would have been the one, but it wasn't. Uh, and we had a lovely one recently, uh, you know, we, when we were scared going back to perform and we did gigs in a church in um, Pepper Canister in Dublin. Um, I thought, oh, I have to record it. It's such a beautiful venue. I had all this dream of like getting one of those drones and you just captures you walking up to the church. We haven't done that yet, but I still got that in mind. But um, it went great. And it was such a nice moment when you know, like, as you're getting to the end of the gig, you captured, you're like, mm-hmm. I hope to God they pressed record. Mm-hmm. And the band were hugging each other. And, you know, so we knew. You told them yeah. that night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I told them, you know, that time. But uh, sorry, I don't even know what you asked me in that regard. But that uh, oh, I was just saying that. Yeah, that well, you know, it's so nice to hear it. That you made uh, that wasn't someone going hello. We'd like you to do this yeah. here. We'll pay for this. You got yeah. it. It was something that that, that uh, it's clearly a, a, a passion project. My one of my favorites from it is Wake Up. Uh, oh wow, that's Arcade great. Um, I just I, I I've listened to that album from beginning to end. 
so many times. That's so that, nice to that hear. That and the Live at the Olympia one. Oh, that's the, so nice. I mean, and the K one recently yeah. was a fairly new edition. But yeah. the, the Changeling one, I just... Um, it has something really... And also, you, yeah. you, you seem to think it was a flop. You know, it's got over, I think, two million streams Jeez, on... I don't ever... On uh, See, I don't one particular any... streaming platform. Yeah, one of those ones. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's... So I think it's True Love Waits. That's uh, amazing. It's got over two million that's, streams. No, that, you know, but it's because I don't... Um, I'm terrible. I, I I do my own kind of like mailing list and the social media and stuff, but I, ne- I do, people probably don't ever bother to join because I don't check. I'm too nervous to check replies. I'm, I think it's years of having people who've written stuff to you like, uh, you know, look at the state of you and that or and oh, you get loads I, of lovely things. But you know what I mean? I know. Oh, I know. my <laughs> God, it's cruel. So I... I, I kind of just glaze over stuff, try and check stuff and cover my hands over things. So it is always a, an absolute pleasure when you hear it from people. Or even like, say, last night when people like somebody said Dark Room and Wine. I went, oh, my God, they like Dark Room and Wine because it wasn't one we did in sets. So you you record for yourself and you hope that it has, you know, and what is nice is like, you know, that one, a True Love Waits. I think there was something Fergal had passed on to me that... It, it got a mention in kind of Radiohead covers and, uh, uh, you know, you were like Prince was number one for Creep. And you're like going because you do think you're in Ireland in your little house going, putting like because you were there in band camp. Somebody asked for it. You send it. They don't believe it's you sending mm. it signed. You're like, of course, it's me. Who the <laughs> hell do you think is doing this stuff? And in many ways, maybe it was OK to be someone who's kind of under the radar because, you know, <clears throat> I always thought, oh, God. You know, of course, you know, like, say, you've done that reality TV and that, you know, you were saying about the thing with fame and how much bigger it makes you. You, In one way, you need to be known more to get people to come to the gig. And then I'm, maybe I'm at the stage in my life I want to hide anyway. So, you know, the like I was thinking to myself recently, why am I going back to Edinburgh? I used to go because I wanted to you have a climb, like as a performer, you're climbing, climbing. And then you go, well, is it a, is it a climbing or is it a, is it a, is it a wheel that I'm on now? Like the same thing because like you've done what you want to do. You only go back if you really want to sing and see the people who've come to the gigs. And um, I suppose it's the same uh, like the idea that you see people who are amazing recording artists and then you realise, God, what are they doing now if they're not... Because they're pop stars, they can only go so far. Mm-hmm. So w- one of these, sorry, tangentially bring it back to this woman I'd seen when I was in Dublin, Agnes Burnell, who was in her 70s. It was like an incredible singer of those Kurt Vile songs. I think she was the one who made me go, God, look, it's not about sexiness or enigmaticness or like your age it's she could do Beatle a hundred and and she transform mm-hmm. herself and I believe her you know have so. you referred to her in previous interviews uh, as having a cigarette and a whiskey yeah so and she's the one and she really I'm imagining Marianne Faithful to be yeah, honest yeah no That's absolutely I mean of of that type and ear like completely and she she, she had the most beautiful like incredible eyes um, I think she was the one who played Salome Naked first in London like she was a big star oh. in in um, like in the West End first, and she'd come from Berlin. Her father Benar owned the old um, kind of uh, Berlin theatres, and Marlene Dietrich knew her when she was a younger girl. And then she escaped from there and was working kind of like for Secret Service, Vicky Three Kisses on the radio, <laughs> where they'd be sending messages out for the people to kind of like um, disrupt the German army. 
but she ended up, I think Tom Waits even wrote for her and Mark Almond was inspired by her, but she used to work in the club we worked in. And I just remember thinking, she's everything. She's like a young girl, she's like a man. She's like, I suppose that's, and she, she that with this mad venue like had all these youngsters drinking their heads off and Ireland when you're drinking your head off if I'm saying that it was pretty mental there was bottles <laughs> flying everywhere but they would be still and respectful for her and um, that's powerful oh it was powerful and so when I did like we were supposed to work together after that conversation I had saying oh god like how did you start and I'm not trained and I still remember it like her with her cigarette and whiskey and I was thinking there's hope for me yet because that's the type of singer I'm you know I was smoking a lot at that stage what was it she said it was I I, I it's that you don't need to be a singer you need to be a performer. Yeah, yeah. Perf- be a better actor, or a storyteller, or a performer. Uh, she said it's not about how well you sing the song, and that was a real wake-up call for me because then I suppose it made me think of Dylan and Cave and <clears throat> Waits and everybody who's singing their own voice. So that set me up on a journey too to go, what is my voice? Like, what is my voice? Not just I've learnt how to sing like Ella Fitzgerald or whatever. So that's why I always love those kind of songs where you sing, speak it, and that I like a bit of kind of that you use your own accent or whatever. And I love singers who sing. I love all types of music. I love them when they sing really well. I just know that I can't do that necessarily. But anyway, when she passed away, I think that felt, you know, certain people in your life you meet who are like mentors. And I just felt not like a baton. You know, it wasn't her baton to pass on to me. But she was the woman I had heard, look, Mm mummy, from first. And I did ask her, could I sing it? And she did say, you know, because I said, look, I'd really love to sing that. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time I'd ever heard it. And we were supposed to be working together up until her death. And um, I mean, it was like, it was a week or two away. Like she was hilarious. She was always escape when she was in hospitals before, always escaping to be out on stage. And I became very good friends with her children, um, who were very supportive of what I was doing. And then there was an evening that we did of her that um, uh, we had an old tape cassette, November twenty six, whatever ninety three, which was the name of the show. And then we had, I I, I did the kind of songs. Um, and then we had her speaking and her piano player in between. And so it was kind of, you know, this thing uh, of uh, kind of paying tribute to her. and uh, evoking her. Yeah. And so she, so she was just, and she was wild. Like, I don't think it'd be as wild as her. <laughs> but she really, like, there's this book called, um, oh, God, Lost Palace or something. The Fun Palace. And it goes up to the time she's lying in her bed after her husband's had a, an affair with somebody and she's going to be kicked out of the castle, Castle Leslie, where Paul McCartney got married. But she had, like, you know, fairies with Klaus von Bulow, you know, they, it's like mad stuff. Like, you couldn't... I, when I read it, I thought it's made up. Then I thought, nah, she would have lived this life, you know. People should read it because, you know, people like that... Fun Palace. The Fun Palace. And, you know, I always think... You know, it's kind of like playing the Spiegelstand, I remember, kind of think, imagine all the people who ever came before here and we follow in their footsteps. And in a way, you know, you like to think what you're doing is unique, but a lot of the time you've been inspired by somebody or whatever. And I always think if I'd never met her, would I have ever become that kind of singer? Or, you know, so you do, you know, you do. She's imprinted... uh, uh, well, it's inspired. It's, it is inspiring. inspiring. Yeah, and yeah. I suppose like the same way Bowie did or whatever. You know, I remember when Bowie passed away 
And I remember I didn't cry for the first few hours, which I thought was a bit... I, when my sister rang me, and I, funnily enough, the night before, I was doing the clique in London, and I, I had listened, because I thought, I want to hear all the tracks I didn't know of his. So I went through all of them. I got the call the next day. My sister, who was a big fan, who had heard all his stuff, and I didn't do... I didn't cry. Nothing happened, and I thought, what's happening? He was the one I fancied the most in my life. Like, I adored <laughs> him, and then the tears all came later. And then I thought you've got to wear something unusual today and sparkly. You've forgotten how to dress, you know, because you, you become more, nor, you know, not, you know, you don't because you still look amazing. But, but as time went on, I started being like, not that it was, you know, black clothes, but I was like not bothering. And then I remembered all his style and I thought, it's like when they go. Invigorated. You know. Yeah. And also because you just remember, you, you, I kind of dived into listening to all of his recordings and his interviews and <coughs> then thought, you know, and that's what, like, say, you know, I think you do magical stuff and that's what you want people to do. Uh, like, sometimes when you're gigging after a while, you're like, I, I call it tired pony. You're like, <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how to keep going. So COVID kind of was a an awful thing, but a welcome thing. But also it also made me kind of question maybe how much touring how much you know you give your soul over because that's mm. I always believe you give yourself over you do yeah. but uh, you know how much do you want to sell your soul to the devil how much do you want to keep to yourself <laughs> not you know, the audience of the devil but you know the, de- I mean. the devil gorgeous devil but also you know if not fitting into the outfits like I was joking last night about being sellotaped in but it's no joke <laughs> like you know <laughs> um, on the subject of David Bury um, yeah. uh, and sort of evoking and, and things I just mm. want for anyone yeah. listening um, your cover of Rock and Roll Suicide is there's it's on it's on YouTube yeah. and it's aud- the the audio is amazing but when you pair it with the video yeah. there's a real uh it's a real gut punch yeah. of a performance and i just think it's uh incredible that's oh, that thank you. That's, uh, that i think that is one of my one of i think no i'm going to say that's probably my favorite thing that i've seen you do Great. online in, yeah. in, i mean because yeah, yeah. gigs are different because that's an experience but in terms yeah. of things that you can repeat What's yeah. that, and that. they're not easy to find online because you get a lot of people who say uh, with recordings, oh, you don't capture what you do in a live show. So when you find something that, that yeah. you do, well, you know that yourself, that's always going to be a hard thing. I And, you know, the worst thing is like you do look back at stuff and go, it's a bit like in these shoes or that one. You go, either I was only singing it for a year, so I had a certain instinct or mm-hmm. way. And then as time goes on, you learn it. A different way and mm-hmm. you don't know how to you don't know how to get back to that mm-hmm. way you but it kept but it, a moment in time a moment in time for sure and um definitely uh i always remember hearing that album ziggy stardust and moon age daydream and not you know only years later realizing his whole connection with the the braille kind of things of my death and amsterdam which i love too um but the the rock and roll suicide like I think I was always remember crying my eyes out listening to that in five years. I was kind of hearing it through my sister's wall. And I don't know, I just feel like an animal singing it. I don't know. I feel like so much kind of, I I always feel like there's an empathy for whoever you're being. Of course it's you, you know, you're inhabiting songs and everybody can pretend that you're pretending to be that person but they're all you and you're just allowing yourself the excuse because it's somebody else's writing to go I'm going to be completely evil in this but it was in a cave song and the thing with the rock and roll is your feeling of someone's pain 
is your pain, but it's their pain. So this notion that you know, it's it's, it's everybody. Yeah, the, you know, I mean, so the that's what your that song. It's very shared. You know, oh, but yeah. you're not alone. Yeah, uh, and it's. Yeah, it's just, I mean, uh, please, everybody, go watch it. It's, it's beyond. Uh, one last thing I yep. want to ask before we, before we wrap yeah, you up. You've got help you, you poor thing, because I oh, talk no, for Ireland. Been, this has been an absolute dream for me. Um, Nick Cave. So yep. you've said that you sort of discovered Nick Cave through a cassette yep. that a friend gave. Yep. And then in, in one interview, you sort of briefly mentioned that you'd met him, but then said nothing more about it. You didn't avoid the subject. You just went, <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, because when I met him, because so I saw your Nick Cave show. Yeah. At Brighton Fringe a few years ago, yeah. and um, I kept I kept thinking I saw him there. Oh jeez! But I no, it died. wasn't. But it was because it was I a Nick Cave show. There were just lots of men that looked like. Oh Nick my god, that's so <laughs> funny! That is hilarious. I've got um, to I've got to say that sometime because that is so funny. It's, I was looking around. I said to Aaron, I went, "Is that Nick Cave?" But well, I've Aaron? never thought of that. That so many people would dress like him. Well, yeah, they're the Nick Cave fans. They. Well, <laughs> no, I have no. So basically, yeah, I got the tape from Justy Mitchell, who is a gorgeous girl from Australia, and we were in college. We were doing the Crucible together, and I think it was his live Bad Seats album. And she, like I, you know, was like, I don't know. It was a bit like when I heard Brell. I was like, it's like not a glove that fits, but you're like, I just love everything about it, and I can hear it in my head with Eve at the music and I love the stories and I love the world and you know I sometimes see songs like cinematic things like they're like you're in a in a film or something when you're singing it um so it's like a 3d thing and with him I was just like this is a world I want to live in now it was only a few years later that I started slowly try venturing out a few you know God is in the house and then I'll try are you the one and I, you know, I remember the first time hearing Boatman's Call. I think my two favorite albums in the world is Boatman's Call and Blood on the Tracks. And um, though I can't listen to them all the time because you, know, you listen to them so much, you're like, oh, and I have to give it a few months so I can come back to them. But um, I uh, found it, you know, it was a slow kind of, I loved, li it's the same thing. I love listening to them. And then you go, now I'm going to try it. And um you know, of course, you love things like Wild Roses and the PJ Harvey song, but I, I try and keep away from those ones because they are so well known. And then as time went on, the more confidence to try um, some new ones. I've made a hames of some of his songs. They'll never be heard of again, hopefully. And um, and then the songs that I loved of his, like Stagger Lee, that you've been in it, you know, the rest of the audience like his disciples as he's doing his preaching and you're like oh my god I love that song I can never do that song my mother will have a breakdown if I do that song people will throw me off the stage and then when we were doing the K thing I thought I oh, listen you're old enough now you just got to do that song like it is a terrible uh not it's an amazing song but just the story is terrible but you have to kind of laugh and I mean, joke your way through it that, because that whole album is is nasty songs. it's so nasty and I mean we we did that one in Dublin recently it went great but nobody clapped at the end of it like other people usually clap and go crazy now everybody said they loved it but I was going to Fergal why was it too he said no I just think they just went oh, Jesus You're I like, don't know what to do this is pretty evil <laughs> let's all pretty, just sit yeah, here and yeah. see what happens so anyway so that's the songs and stuff and the feeling of like a very beautiful um, a guy who's written possibly the most beautiful love songs I've ever heard has a spirituality I'm quite I'm not a religious person but I you know I, ha I am on my way I love spirituality so is Fergal and he, probably from you know having learnt I, I think recently I, I kind of connected the dots of like I showed Fergal an old church that we 
had to kind of run in the back lanes up an old Protestant church in a very Catholic town where there was only about six people and everybody was singing out of tune. And I think that love of that type of singing, which always reminds me, I always think Nick Cave songs are like either very sad hymns or crazy hymns, but they're all hymns in my mm. head. And and of course, like, you know, he talks about the, the, the testament. So you're just always thinking there's some kind of, he, you know, he calls it duende, a longing in it, but there's a God-like thing or a yearning in his music. And for me, it's like, it's never tiresome to sing because it's it's always something that you feel you never resolve that you're questioning so that was the beginning of that journey and then um uh, meeting him uh, that happened a few times where um i was in i think 2003 we were doing gigs in uh dublin and i was singing a, the dark the 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 original dark angel show not the one that i did years later where i changed the whole set list this one was old weimer music mixed with nick cave and mixed with you know david bowie and just trying to make it quite an electric show and shane mcgowan and victoria um his wife uh invited me to go and see the gig he was doing in vicar street he also did a small slot doing um a lovely song uh uh, Dolphins, um, Fred, Fred Neal, um, which was amazing. He was playing so close. Anyway, I ended up having dinner with them, and I, I was in shock. And um, I was around the table. I think Warren was one side, Jim was another. Shane was going on about some some like Shane was just embarrassing something about my chest and Nick was being very kind going oh don't mind him and then he's saying you know I hear you hear my songs you do my songs and I was like looking at him like no talking <laughs> like I couldn't I was like he was you don't talk much and I was like looking looking and getting more drunk just completely terrified staring do you want to cave. sing and staring at everybody but also staring mostly at my plate because I was just couldn't fucking <laughs> handle I was in their presence and they were so nice to me and he's saying why don't you sing my songs I was like no way and I remember I don't know if I got sick that night I, I think I drunk so much because I was so scared but I was hoping I hadn't made a fool of myself but I went home and I, I just couldn't speak so maybe that's why I never talk about it because <laughs> I couldn't speak he was really lovely and then years later meeting him um, with his beautiful wife um, uh, at his Bonnie Monroe uh, in the roundhouse they were doing a talk on that and then he signed um, my book and he was saying I heard you know people ain't no good you know and again my absolute you know for somebody who talks so much rubbish nothing came like you know <laughs> I talked to his wife because I felt like I just thought oh, don't think I'm a stalker because I you know also because Shane and Victoria Victoria had given me his home phone number I said I don't want his home phone number but I'm going to be hello <laughs> Mrs. Cave you know I said I, I love his music but I'm not you know and I thought my stalker factor is good I have his number mm -hmm. I know kind of where they live but I never have gone near them you know yeah. it's really I, hard because I know where they live and yeah. I, I occasionally I have to walk past it and I'll sort of peer up into the general area and go but there yeah, they are. They're not, but you know it is hard because I am a fan but I've got to kind of know and then you know so and then another time when they were doing gigs in Latitude we were allowed on the side of the stage I mean he's just always been a very kind um, 
you know, uh, gentle, like in, in my regard. And, and, and as the band said, Jim said, you know, people said, you don't mess with the bad seeds, you know. So luckily, and I worked with Jim once where we were writing, kind of trying to write music with each other, but I was so scared of that too. I just ended up held, helping him with the architecture of his house. <laughs> but they were always really um, lovely. And I think it's just, I think it's really hard meeting people you admire in that way because I want to do justice to their songs but I'm a bit like freaked out by the whole th- I'm you know I go like kind of like a 10 year old just like completely you know <laughs> they must be going what is wrong with that person it's a very pleasant inter- like uh, having dinner and obviously you know the, there's the, the it fear it seemed pleasant but it was it was a, terrifying the, the f- fear of God you you're know? right and I have one last question yeah. just for my own personal one you've met many people yeah. have you ever met Tom Waits never that, I don't think anyone really does. Oh, no, but I tell you, no, they don't. But, um, okay, I did work with this. Okay, there's two things here. I did work with this incredible man. Oh, God. And I can't think of his name because I got fog brain, but he was the most amazing kind of clarinetist and, uh, um, and saxophonist and sadly passed away with an accident over COVID. But he was Tom Waits' um, players on his gigs and there's another guy, David Coulter, and I just couldn't believe I was working with him because I've heard his music. But a very good, because Kathleen, his wife, um, is was either it's the Rosa Tralee or that's how he names her in his songs. She's Irish. Um, uh, he, he visits Ireland every now and then on the QT. But my friend Merlo, Merlo Kelly, Mary Louise, as her na- full name is, not the wine, um, without the tea, um, she <laughs> rang me in a state outside George's Market having a, a conniption that Tom Waits was inside the record shop. And she like, <laughs> I'm outside and he's inside. And I was like, this is the closest I'm going to get. This is the closest <laughs> I'm going to get. And I was seeing his gigs, I think, uh, his uh, gold uh, I, I was way oh, at the Clatter back and Doom. I got the ticket I the cheapest one I was way at the back and at the end I went god damn it I went down like halfway and stood it was incredible I mean he is one person you, I mean you say about wanting to meet I have it written down for like 20 years like buy milk sort out your weight Ask Nick Cave and Tom Waits, would they ever write a song or ever sing with me? Things that, you know, <laughs> I'll probably, when I'm 80, have the confidence to do. But those are the people, like, you know, could you imagine, you know, meeting yeah, him? Yeah, I, it's sort of, there's too much mythos. Yeah, um, so that was the closest. That, let's put it down, if we have to put one each, you, do you want Nick and I'll take Tom? Yeah. Okay, we're putting that out to the universe. Uh, Camille, this has been such a pleasure. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you so much for joining now me. Now I want us to perform together. That'll oh, be the scary one. Oh, no, I'd love to. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's see if the tent's free now. Yeah. They've got the piano. <laughs> we'll do it. All right. Thank you very much, Camille O'Sullivan. Thank you so much, darling. And that was Camille O'Sullivan. My God, I love that woman. What some wonderful, wonderful stories. Um, I, again, if you are not familiar with her, please um, look up her work. She is uh, amazing. Uh, I'm such a big fan. 
Um, an honor that we had the chance to have a chat. Anyway, uh, as I said before at the beginning, uh, come see me on tour in October and November across the UK and Ireland for my slow. Uh, I said it again. My show <laughs> club cataclysm. I'm doing the reason I can't talk very well is because I do have a cat that is still just walking around. And do you want to hear? Try and hear the purring again. That purring, and he's rubbing himself against the microphone. Go on, Egon. <laughs> I hope you like it. Um, also, he farts when he's really happy, um, and I just got a whiff. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you very much, you gorgeous listeners. Please be sure to review lovely five stars, unless ten is an option, uh, and uh, subscribe, all of that nonsense. We'll be back next week with a absolutely stunning guest. Uh, goodbye! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.